Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us on this uh, Tuesday. You are listening to Channel Africa on www.channelafrica.co.za if you're listening to us uh, live on our website. And if you are listening to us on DSTV, don't forget we're on the channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Right now, this is African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us uh, right here on Channel Africa. Well, today we're continuing with this theme that seems to have been dominating the this year, which is the divides on various issues within uh, the African National Congress, the ruling party in South Africa. And the latest spat is around uh, the issue of the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank. Uh, South African President Sir Ramaphosa has considered the debate on the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank closed after he uh, made a pronouncement on the matter. Uh, the African National Congress's head of President uh, Zizi Kotwa said the issue would not be open to any discussion despite the top six meeting uh, yesterday. NC Secretary General Ace Mahashule drew the attention of the top officials when he said the National Executive Committee had resolved that the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank be expanded to include growth and employment. We know that now there's a debate around a tweet that someone had hacked his Twitter account on this particular matter and there seems to be a big debate on black Twitter around this and uh, continuing to look at this issue, the NC head of economic transformation, Inok uh, Kotongwana entered the debate and disputed Mahashule's statement saying there was no such decision or resolution he was backed by finance minister Dito Mboweni who said the mandate of the reserve bank can only be reviewed uh, by government structures well to help us on this particular matter we joined on the line by uh, Professor Chris Malikane uh, and also we've got Professor Diniko Maluleke and Davi Root, uh, economist, is also joining us on the line. I've got limited time with Professor Maluleke. Let me start with you on this particular matter. There's a big hoo-ha now. After uh, the pronouncement of the statement by Ace Mahashula around the Reserve Bank, in his statement was speaking about the decision on expanding its mandate and starting a process to instruct the bank to consider quantitative easing, uh, which is printing money as a means of alleviating pressure on government and also on South Africa's economy. And this has actually played out in the public arena and now we've seen uh, the divisions what does this show us around this particular matter because one would have thought that uh, in their latest uh, conference the 54th conference the ANC had come to some resolution around this matter professor yes Uh, look I mean there are a few facts that we must uh, acknowledge and live with Uh, the most important one is that there is indeed a, a, an ANC resolution uh, that talks about uh, how to make the fiscal and monetary policy more flexible uh, with implications for what, if you like, the mandate of the Reserve uh, Bank. 
uh, that uh, conference co- co- uh, uh, resolution is there. Uh, there is no running away from it. And um, the ANC knows it, the SACP knows it, everybody knows it, that that resolution exists. The question, of course, is uh, if you have that resolution, how then do you speak about it as the, as the ANC? And secondly, how do you go about implementing it, uh, if you intend to implement it at all? What we have seen is that the ANC has no coherent way of speaking about that resolution because um, the Secretary General says this, the Minister of Finance says something else, the head of economics in the ANC, Gondongwana, says something else, and a few hours later, 24 hours later, the presidency issues a statement uh, that intends to settle the matter, but actually also says something slightly different uh, from everyone else. So there is no, no, no coherent way uh, that the ANC has managed to find to speak about this resolution. Uh, and that has been a, a part of the problem. Not to speak about the implementation of the resolution, uh, at all, because in the statement of the president, it basically says, we have this resolution, we would like to implement it, but it would not be prudent to do so. Uh, uh, I don't know even, I can't remember the precise words, uh, if it says at this time at all. So, so I think for me those are the big issues, because when this happens, uh, it does create uh, uncertainty about policy, but above all, it does create uncertainty about uh, power relations inside of the ANC, uh, factionalism inside of the ANC, so that some people even begin to question uh, whether there is anyone in charge in that house. Hmm. Staying with you, um, Professor Maluleke, is the very same question around um, the credibility that we are is being tested here, which is the decisions that are made on the ANC's um, uh, national conference. I'm looking at the resolution itself here, and it states that uh, the 54th National Conference resolved that the South African Reserve Bank is the central bank of the republic. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quoting it here. It performs its functions independently, but in regular consultation with the Minister of Finance, the right to issue paper money, set the interest rate, and regulate the financial system resides wholly with the Reserve Bank. Now, this is an interesting clause in this resolution. It says It is, however, a historical anomaly that there are private shareholders of the Reserve Bank. Conference resolved that the Reserve Bank should be 100% owned by the state. Government must develop a proposal to ensure full public ownership in a manner that does not benefit uh, private shareholder speculators. Now, uh, Godongwana highlighted the fact uh, in his late, latest statement saying that uh, that the Lekhotla is not a making decision body. It cannot actually um, overturn conference resolution. So this is a big issue here because uh, the ANC is in power right now and how is the credibility of this particular conference moving things forward being tested with this particular issue here? Well, I mean, the very, the very phraseology of that resolution 
speaks volumes because that resolution is framed in a manner that refers back to a previous conference. In other words, it tells you that we have made this decision a conference ago, uh, which the unspoken in that statement is that we have made a decision a conference ago and we haven't done anything about it. Uh, So the very phraseology uh, tells you that there is a problem. Uh, But more than whether you do something or you don't do anything about the decisions you take, for me, is the question of how you, how you, you, you speak about them. Uh, because how you speak about them is as important as what you do about them. If you can't speak with one voice about them, then how on earth will you be able to do anything about those decisions? So, uh, uh, for, for, so there, are, there are several problems there, that here is a decision about which nothing has been done, but more importantly, here is a decision about which the, the, the party is unable to speak with one voice. And, of course, there is a history of uh, resolutions and resolutions. Uh, there is a graveyard of, of ANC resolutions that have been taken um, without ever being implemented. You could argue that uh, such resolutions were taken never with the intention of implementation. Mm. Is this one of them? I don't know. The mm. question is, once you have it, how then do you speak about it? Because if you, if you speak in, in so confusing and so confused and so incoherent and so disparate a manner as they have done with this particular resolution, then you throw the entire country into turmoil mm. and you throw the entire party into turmoil because what is the party about? Who speaks for it? And uh, what is its position? What will be done? What will not be done? I think that's what is confusing, not just the markets, mm. but the ordinary South Africans. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Professor Mamelulake, for giving us your analysis there. Uh, we'll continue this discussion. Let's take a quick break because I wanted Davi Ruet and, and uh, Professor Chris Malikana to hear that particular political context. And maybe we'll unpack some of those particular dynamics in terms of uh, how this affects our economy. And also, how is this debate? Is it healthy for the country? Is this where the country should be going or not? We'll tackle that after this break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 
from Sudan yesterday. Today, we're coming back to South Africa, looking at the issues of the African National Congress in terms of its resolution at its uh, 54th conference uh, on uh, the issue of uh, uh, the uh, Reserve Bank and its particular mandate. That has been a hot topic in South Africa. We started the conversation with Professor Diniko Maluleke, giving us uh, the uh, really backdrop of what is happening there and the factionalism around uh, this particular matter. We're staying on the line with Davi Root, Chief Economist from Efficient Group, and Professor Chris Malikan, who's speaking to us uh, independently to us today in his analysis. Uh, let me start with you, Davi Root, in terms of this particular conversation before I move on to the professor. What are your thoughts around this big hoo-ha right now? This issue is back in the fold. It's back in the discussion space. How have you observed it? Yeah, uh, but just in the interest of transparency, I just have to declare that I am a shareholder in the South African Reserve Bank, sure. and that I get uh, I get dividends. I receive dividends from my shareholding in the South African Reserve Bank, mm-hmm. and I can also share with you that my last dividend was a massive eight eight rands. So my total dividends annually is around about sixteen rands after the dividend taxes mm-hmm. have been deducted. So I am a shareholder in the South African Reserve Bank. I am also an economist. And I am responsible for a couple of billion rands uh, in um, assets that we manage. And what is important for me as an economist, a private sector economist, is to try to understand what the government policies are. At the moment, the policies regarding the South African Reserve Bank, if you ask me what those policies are, my short answer to that is I just do not know. Because I get many different messages from government. What I do know is that there's an official ANC document uh, saying that the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank will be changed to include things like, for example, economic growth and employment as well. My position where I find myself in the private sector is that I have to advise people on what to do with their assets locally and internationally. And what's been happening on the financial market the last week or so, that they, uh, what is very clear to all of us, there was a huge outflow of capital out of South Africa. And I must tell you that I cannot blame people. And I cannot blame people because we do not know what the policy regarding the South African Reserve Bank is. I also believe that there's a lot of confusion within the ANC. There's a, a coming leadership clash within the ANC. We've seen that every day, nearly. There's an ideological clash within the ANC. And in the process, South Africa, the South African economy is hugely damaged. And in fact, what has happened the past year, of the past week only, remember whenever the rent weakens, that simply means that all South Africans are poorer. And we as South Africans are significantly poorer today than what we were a week ago. So what is clearly happening is that the infighting within the ANC uh, is affecting the South African economy and the financial markets are, as they say, voting with their feet. Mm. Let me come to uh, Professor Christopher Malikane. Thank you for giving us your time, Prof. What are your thoughts as you observe this confusion that has been alluded to by Davi Ruet and Professor Maluleke? The members of the South African Communist Party who were there, it was also confirmed by Kosatu, which was there. So uh, uh, the people who came out to say no, uh, the mandate of the Reserve Bank uh, can only be changed by the Minister of Finance forget that the ministers get their mandate from the ruling party, and the ruling party gets its mandate from their conference. That's how the policy process is taking place. So, 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 and also just to add, you know, the NC is very clear that uh, the person responsible officially to pronounce 
on the decisions of ANC gatherings is the Secretary General. So the Secretary General is the only authority that is empowered to pronounce on the collective decisions of the ANC. Any other spokesperson of the ANC cannot do that outside of the Secretary General. So I think uh, the Minister of Finance and the, and, the, and the Chair of Economic Transformation were out of order in that sense, and they created a confusion that we, that we saw. Now, let's expand on that reality because, as was highlighted by Davi, this is creating uncertainty, confusion, and also an, a withdrawal uh, from the markets in terms of confidence within uh, South Africa's economy. And uh, this confusion seems to be something that is um, a legacy of the Zuma era itself, where there's not really a clarity of direction when it comes to economic policy in South Africa, Professor Malikani. Uh, what do you think is this is happening? From where I'm sitting, it seems like there are forces, invisible forces behind the factionalism here that are determining uh, the friction even within uh, the ANC. How do we explain this confusion here? Because as you highlighted, uh, ANC policies are clear, the, the structure of uh, uh, the way things are done should be uh, aligned within the, the policy mandate of um, the ANC in itself. So why are we here? I think it's because uh, some leaders of the ANC uh, they pursue certain interests beyond what the mandate that they received from the branches of the NC said. Uh, in economics, uh, we, we call it um, a, a moral hazard, where you, you, you elect a person, and this person promises that they will implement uh, your resolutions, you know, and then once they get uh, to their positions, then they start deviating from the resolutions. So this moral hazard has been present in the ANC for a very long time. But the membership of the ANC has begun to mature and to begin to raise these issues sharply. That is why you see now uh, uh, the actual implementation of key resolutions that were taken a long time ago is now being treasured uh, by the members of the ANC to say these resolutions must be implemented. People, people since 1994, uh, 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 South African people have become more and more conscious of economic issues and other issues that were a preserve of a few people with knowledge. Now, knowledge is much more disseminated. People are now able to critically evaluate their leader. It's part of the maturing of democracy in the country and maturing of democracy in the ANC. But that is... So, David, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, well, clearly what is happening here is that we obviously there are two uh, conflicting uh, centers of power here. The one is the ANC, and the other one is Parliament. And as far as I'm concerned, Parliament is the highest decision-making organ in South Africa. That's where the power should, in fact, reside. Uh, and I think what has happened in the Zuma years is that that power center moved to the to the ANC, which of course is incorrect. So in a way, uh, the, the Secretary General of the ANC is correct, but what is missing is that he's not the position. He's not. He's not government. He is part of the of the governing party, certainly. But he is not government. But that is also putting things quite simplistically, because there are far there are many more different. Um, uh, uh, movements and centers of power within the ANC and within the alliance as well. And let me give you another example. The, the, the Minister of Finance, for example, Peter Nguyeni, when he read his budget earlier this year, he made a couple of comments about privatization and about the wage pool and things like that. And he was actually wrapped over the knuckles by the president, amongst others. 
So it's not only the ANC versus Parliament or versus government. There are many other uh, underlying forces at play at the moment as well. And I think uh, maybe the, the most obvious uh, dilemma that we have here today is that we do not have strong leadership in the form of the president. And because I believe that the president needs to come to, to the fore, I believe that the president took far too long before he made his, uh, the statement about uh, the mandate of the Reserve Bank last week. He should have come out immediately after the statement by Mr. Mabishulia about uh, the change of the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank because it took many days before he came out. And during that time, what happened to financial markets, of course, the whole thing about a life where you itself, and now I started buying the world in the financial markets that we do not like uncertainty. And, uh, and I'm afraid, I think, if I really have to uh, single out one, uh, one issue, it is a lack of leadership primarily from the president at the moment. Let me, let, so me, let me contest with that idea that you're highlighting, Davi, because whether the president spoke a day after or three days after or yeah. a week later, does it actually make a difference? Because the contestation yes. remains within the African National Congress around this matter. No, it certainly does make a difference here. Because, you know, monetary policy uh, with um, fiscal policy are the two most important and the, and the, and the, the most important fis- uh, uh, policy or macroeconomic policy instruments available to government. With government, I, I mean the South African Reserve Bank and the fiscal authorities. And it's very important because government is such a huge role player in South Africa and because the South African Reserve Bank is such an important role player within the South African economy that it is important for the president to immediately, whenever there are signs that they're going to change the way monetary policy is conducted, for example, it is of the utmost importance for the president to say that this is absolute not but there are certain rules mm-hmm. for the Constitution, and we're doing things according to certain rules. So, no, yes, maybe we would not have um, addressed the, the, the different factions within the ANC, but at least it would have uh, provided clarity as far as the mandate for, uh, of the South African Reserve Bank as an example. Professor Malikani, do you agree? Because I'm not quite sure if I agree with Davi there. Yeah, well, I, I don't quite agree with Davi. You know, because, yes, we know that Parliament has to make decisions, ultimately has to change the constitutional mandate of the Reserve Bank, for example. Uh, it, it all resides in Parliament. But the issue here is that mem- members of Parliament are members of a political party. And it is the political party that makes the decision and then instructs the members of Parliament to carry all out the decision in a constitutional way. So the issue here is that the, the center of power is, is, is the ANC, as the ANC has already resolved, the central power is the ANC, and the president of the country is actually the president of the country because he is the president of the ruling party, which is the ANC. So if the president is removed from the ANC, for an example, he is going to be removed from the, from the position as the president of the country. That's how powerful the ANC is at this point in time. So, and where does the president derive the power? The president derives the power within the ANC from the resolutions of the party. So if the president openly moves against the resolutions of his own party, he's actually digging his own grave. So that is why the strongest leader now, uh, in my view, in the ANC, is the secretary general. Because the secretary general is, is just articulating the positions of the ANC official. You know? and, the, and we know that this has been adopted by the highest decision-making body of the ANC. So the, mm. the, 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 the power lies in the ANC.
Well, that's a very interesting one. Davi, I'm going to give you your thoughts there because a matter that I agree on, this confusion is creating a threat to the economy. While these elite political elites are having these debates, you highlighted earlier on that we, the ordinary South African, is getting poorer and poorer because it is affecting our economy. We'll deal with that after this break. I'm an actress. I'm a motivational speaker, born with albinism. Um, the nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no, why are you asking me that question? When I grew up, there was no publication of person with albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following time, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report. An enlightened narrative with me, Pule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. It's uh, 25 minutes uh, to uh, midday. You are listening to us uh, right here on uh, www.channelafrica.co.za if you're listening to us live on our website. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on the Audio Bouquet Channel 802. Thank you for joining us there on that particular platform. Uh, I get to play devil's advocate. I get to just get the different nuances uh, from the guests that we have today and definitely it's becoming clear that both of our guests, Professor Chris Malikane and uh, Davi Irut are coming from different standpoints and interests in this debate and I'm not taking any sides indeed but I want to get the different nuances of their position in terms of this particular matter around the mandate of the Reserve Bank. Davi, you wanted to say something before we went on that break. Yeah, what I wanted to say, yes, of course, I understand the politics. I understand what's happening behind the scenes. But, the, but, but I would like to think how things are supposed to work. When the president became the president of South Africa, he became the president of all South Africans. And in the first instance, he is the president of South Africa. And only in the second instance is he the president of the ANC. And that's what I would like. That's the kind of leadership that I would like to, to get from the president. But perhaps the debate should change, and we should rather look at, do we need to change the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank? Because I'm afraid that the South African economy is so, so deep in trouble that the political leadership are, are, are trying to find excuses to start doing let me just call it spade a spade, all sort of silly things, mm. like changing the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank without really addressing the main issues. Is it a silly thing? Because according to this mandate, it looks at the, the political um, narrative around this, uh, this issue. Um, the 54th National Conference highlights that this is a historical anomaly, uh, that there are private shareholders of the Reserve Bank. Um, so that's a very interesting thing, considering the historical narrative is it silly yeah, I certainly do think so because let me let's make, let's play a bit of a mind game here uh, let's say that we nationalize the South African Reserve Bank and let's say we change the mandate of the South African Reserve Bank and let's get the, the Reserve Bank 
and to do what what the, what I suggested to to implement something called quantitative easing. And let's say they reduce cut interest rates significantly, will that get the economy to grow? And the answer is it will not get the economy to grow because we don't still don't have electricity, as an example, and many other things that we do not have. So let's understand what the main issues is in South Africa and why the economy is not growing. Because changing the mandate to nationalizing the reserve bank is certainly not going to make a difference. We don't have a monetary policy issue in South Africa. We have many other structural issues in South Africa, like, for example, electricity, like, for example, the fiscal accounts that are totally unsustainable, like, for example, the local authorities that two-thirds of them are dysfunctional, and many, many other examples. Those are impediments to economic growth. And let's address those issues that are far more important than nationalizing the reserve bank. Professor Malikani, here you heard that Davi saying that uh, uh, the issue that is at hand here is probably peripheral. We should be looking at bigger issues. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. Uh, because uh, many of the issues that are said to be structural issues, they require uh, funding and financing in a developmental way to be resolved. I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, let's take uh, uh, the Great Depression in the U.S., right? The role of the Fed in getting the U.S. out of the Great Depression is well documented. I mean, all economies, even now with the current global financial crisis that we've experienced that is still ongoing, the Fed was the first institution um, to react by lowering interest rate to near zero as a first step in addressing the crisis that the U.S. was facing, and then proceeded to do quantitative easing. It was at the center of stimulating economic growth in the, in, in the U.S. So for us in South Africa to then say the central bank is a peripheral issue on, when it comes to our structural problem, I don't think it's correct. We need to look at the central bank, changing the mandate of the central bank, changing the ownership of the central bank, restructuring the financial system in the same way as we talk about restructuring the industrial base of our country and in the same way as we talk about transformation. All these things need to be conducted as a package. So we cannot take the most apex institution in the financial system out of that equation. It is a very much part of uh, the transformation that we need in this country. Okay. I'm afraid, I'm All right. afraid Professor, uh, mm-hmm. I just may add this. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. we don't have liquidity issues in South Africa. The Reserve Bank and the financial markets are functioning quite well. And that's probably the, the, the last part in the South African economy that's working quite well. Please, let's not destroy this part as well. Because I promise you, if we go the populist way, we will end up... But there's, there's no populist. There's no populist. We yeah. will end up... Let's not label each other. Let's not label each other. Let's not talk about populism here. Let's be analytical and make our arguments. Yes. Okay, well, I, I, I can, we do not have a liquidity problem. We, we, we have a functioning... A financial system. It works. The banks work. The banks are not in trouble. It's not necessary for quantitative easing. And and if we do follow a process where we simply start printing money uh, because we believe that quantitative easing is going to solve the problems, we will only destroy the South African currency. And we will end up where the Zimbabweans are. And we will end up where Venezuelans are. These experiments have been, have been tried before. It doesn't matter if we cut into states and start printing money. We still don't have electricity fix that before the economy will grow. Let me respond to that. The, the banks do not work for the majority of South Africans. 
the majority of South Africans are locked out of access to basic productive credit by the banking system and the financial system in South Africa. It might work for the world, but it's not working for small businesses. It's not even working for some of the industrial manufacturing enterprises. If you look at the, the portfolios of loans that banks in South Africa are having, most of them are in real estate and they're in companies, corporates, and in mining. The banks are not lending to downstream manufacturers at affordable rates so that these manufacturers can create jobs and grow this economy. They are not lending to SMEs. They are not even lending to small-scale farmers to support agriculture and the value chain, the food value chain. So, so yes, the financial system is working, but not uh, for the development of the country. Professor, let me tell you who's not working for the poor. The local authorities are not working for the poor because they're totally dysfunctional. ESCOM is not working for the poor because they can't make enough electricity. The Department of Health is not working for the poor because they're totally dysfunctional. The Department of Education is a total disaster. Those are the let me explain. To the poor. Let me explain. So, Government, for, let's, t- let's take education system, education infrastructure. Mm. The, the new democratic government had an RTP in order to address the historical imbalances and inequalities in access to basic infrastructure in education, healthcare, and other basic services. What happened was that the new democratic government was attacked on the grounds that that is not sustainable. So the RTP was put aside. And there were no efforts to resource this government in order to expand on a massive scale access to basic infrastructure. We're sitting today with schools that, do have, that, that have pit toilets, with schools that are not well-resourced when it comes to teachers. Why? It was, not, it was not because the politicians are simply dysfunctioning. It was because of lack of resources that continue to be held in the hands of the few in South Africa. So we need to resolve that issue. Mm. That is incorrect. Okay. That is incorrect. Sure. Uh, we, spend, right. we spend more on education than most countries in the world. Mm. And uh, despite that, South Africa's quality of education is not only bad, it is often the worst in the world. It's not all right. Oh, oh, all right. Let, let's, we only have three. We, gents, gents, gents. Can I, can I mediate? Can I come into this and be the interruption in this fascinating and fantastic debate between the two of you let's wrap it up because we only have around two minutes left i want to get your final sentiment davi because it seems this issue is also related to these structural economic uh, problems as you guys now are alluding to at this point of the discussion what are your final sentiments in a minute well, a, a quick final uh, comment, perhaps. You know, we are debating ideology. And I think perhaps we passed that point. The ideology, whether we want a socialist system or capitalist system, I think we passed that point. I think what we all need to agree upon is that whatever we decide to do and whatever wherever we want to take the South African economy and whoever is in charge better do a good job of that. And that means that the teachers and, and the nurses and the politicians and the administrators, everybody needs to be, do a proper and a good job. Because if they, and of course, the politicians as well, and we have to get clarity as far as policy is concerned. But I'm afraid that the damage that has been caused to the South African economy, especially in the past 10 years, is so extensive that I sometimes I feel I've lost all hope because we are really what will happen at this trajectory. Unemployment will go up. And we will see an increase in poverty in South Africa. And okay. that inevitably will mean uh, all sort of things happening in, in the social economy of South Africa. I am very concerned. Professor Malikani, I'm sure you have an opposing view to that. What are your final sentiments? My sentiments are that uh, unless we radically transform 
South African economy and South African society. We can have the best people in positions of power. However, if institutionally the South African economy continues to operate the way it does to exclude the vast majority of the people in terms of ownership and control of strategic sectors of the economy and resources of this country, nothing is going to to, to, to take us forward. These issues will keep on repeating them over and over again. We need to confront the historical inequality that we've inherited from apartheid in order for us to move forward. Thank you, Jens. A very interesting debate. It had various nuances from the beginning to the end, showing the various uh, factors that are involved with this uh, very uh, much uh, big conversation in South Africa. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you to Davi Ruet, Chief Economist from Fishing Group, and Professor uh, Chris Malikani speaking in his um, personal capacity on this particular program. And earlier on, we were speaking to Professor Diniko Maluleke as well, who gave us uh, the political nuances that we are seeing from an internal uh, battle within the ANC. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. We appreciate it. Much later. Thank you. Thank you.